Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're finally, finally back to putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And John, there were times when I (laughs) doubted that we'd ever see this day (laughs) as we added another episode and another episode. But uh, it's finally time to judge the actions and the characters of Ale Saga. It's very exciting stuff. I feel way more accomplished than I probably should, I have to say. I mean... We managed to spend something like, what, 24 hours of podcast time going through this saga. Uh, well, and we wrote mo- like multiple books worth of uh, stuff on it. I think but, that's uh, probably true, yes. Yeah. Maybe we should feel something more like shame since no one will really, <laughs> in terms of our jobs, really care about any you know, of this. <laughs> the worst part of it is that I feel like we left some stuff on the table. We absolutely I mean, did. a full day and night of podcast on this saga. And mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting we should go back, obviously, but... Um, there's more to say. I'm just, I, I figure we'll leave it because I'm assuming our children will one day produce a podcast in which, in which they talk about all the things that we forgot to talk about. <laughs> and I want to make sure we leave them some good material. The, the Christopher <laughs> Tolkien's of the Saga Thing podcast. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, that said, I think we did, you know, in all that 24 hours of coverage, we did a pretty good job. What do you think we skipped? Oh, I mean, I could develop another 10 minutes just on the land taking stuff, mm-hmm. which is the, the settlement narrative that's woven through this saga. Uh, yeah, but please don't, John. Not now. <laughs> this is the saga thing court for Ale Saga. This mm-hmm. is supposed to be a happy occasion. <laughs> yes, let's bicker and argue about who killed who. <laughs> I like that. Let's let's bicker and argue instead of let's not. I see. No, besides, as much fun as it would be to continue trying to squeeze blood from this ale stone, we've still got many more sagas to cover if we're going to get to them all. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, no, we've got some good ones coming up. Yeah, gotta catch them all. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, should we uh, should we talk about which one we're going to do next? No, no, let's let's, uh, let's save it for the end. Give people an incentive not to skip the episode. Really? So you know they could just skip to the end right now. Yeah, yeah. No, there's like, I know there's like a fast forward button. Oh, look at you! You're so proud of yourself for knowing that, aren't you? <laughs> I <laughs> tell found you what, it on my phone. If, if you want to skip ahead to the end and find out what's coming up on the podcast, you go on. We'll wait here for you. Ready? Go. All right. Uh, so those of you who didn't fast forward, we're just going to go ahead with the show and ditch those folks. Uh, they'll yeah. have to catch up later. They'll never find us. No. <laughs> I Really, I honestly can't tell at this point whether you understand how all of this works or not. Yeah, that's what I'm after. It's keeping you on your toes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> all right, Barishnikov. You just keep dancing over there. Um, I'm ready. Are you ready to get to work? I got my judging robes on. I got a, a beautiful beer at hand. What do you uh, got there? I've got a, a a Woot Stout that was brewed in late 2018, just before we started working on Ale Saga. That's crazy. You've been saving, been saving it all this it, time? Saving it and saving it. You're a lunatic. Uh, it must have been taunting right. you in the cupboard all that time. Oh, man. I've been waiting for this one for a while. That's sad. Well, all right. Um... You, uh, with your judge robes, you're going to need a gavel to go with those. Oh, I do, actually. How does one get a gavel? Uh, I need a gavel. Can we get one? Well, <laughs> since both of us uh, brought beers and books to a gavel fight, we'll have to get on as best we can. Uh, hmm, let's see if no that gavel. bloodshed button still works. Best bloodshed. Ah! Well... Ale Saga turned out to be a bit of a surprise, Andy. Uh, not a disappointment by any means. I mean, when we get to body count, we can talk about the sheer volume of people being killed in nasty ways in this saga. But many of those deaths are either just reported as numbers or with, you know, so many dead at this battle or so many killed at a hall burning. 
But otherwise, they're just people who are killed. Ale doesn't mm-hmm. waste a lot of time on creativity when it comes to killing people. He just does it very, very effectively. In mass. Yeah. Now, that said, any saga this size is going to have a few crowd-pleasing moments of gore. And there were there were enough that we had to make a few choices to cut down on the candidates. So before we start, I'd like to acknowledge a handful of honorable mentions who, although great, weren't quite up to the level we required. So our honorable mentions include Ale's duel with Yacht the Pale, which ends with Ale chopping off Yacht's leg in a single savage blow. In any other saga, that would be a winner. I, that's a great it? one. Uh, Ale's yeah. leap over a ravine in Frisia, where he fought off and killed nearly a dozen men while hacking his way back to his own ship. Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, and is the uh, one more? Uh, Ale punching yeah. his father's foreman to death at age twelve before sitting down to dinner next to the cooling corpse. Wait, wait a second now. Yeah. Punching? Yeah. I don't think he punches him. I think he probably hits him in the head with an axe. It says one blow. Well, you, you think, you, you think Ale is so unmannered as to bring an axe to the dinner table? Yeah, I, I feel like that's more of do. a fisticuffs occasion. <laughs> you thinking this this 12-year-old boy uh, was able to cold cock this guy and kill him yes, with I one do. blow? Uh, you think, mm. where's the 12-year-old getting an axe? <laughs> At the dinner uh, table. I think it says, I, I, where did he get the axe that he killed uh, little, <laughs> little Grim with? It says axes were quite handy yes, that back yes. then. Yes, um, Anyway, we should have a look at the moments of bloodshed that did make the cut, so to speak. Okay. Uh, Andy, what do you got? Uh, I don't know. What do you got? All right. You want me to go first? All right. Well, my first candidate is a non-ale yeah, moment. Um, it's from his uncle, Thorolf Mark I. Uh, so we're going to have to roll back a bit. Andy, you remember that uh, Thorolf was originally a loyal supporter of Harold Fairhair. Of course. Now, I mean, he loved Harold at first. At first. But Harold eventually became jealous of Thorolf's wealth and popularity and began to believe untrue rumors of Thorolf setting himself up as a rival to Harold. Sure. Although at the time, I think we were a little sympathetic to Harold's point of view because it really did look like Thorolf was becoming something of a kingly figure in the north of Norway. Yeah. But, I mean, it's okay. So... Once Harold turns on him, Thorolf and Harold spend a while fighting each other through proxies, with Thorolf mostly raiding in Harold's lands. Now, eventually, Harold and his men trap Thorolf in a farmhouse and burn it down, but Thorolf bursts out of the flames with his men, and the two men come face to face. Almost. The saga tells us, Thorolf ran forward from the flames, hewing to both sides through the king's men until he reached the king's standard. When Thorolf reached the wall of shields around the king, he thrust his sword through the standard bearer. Now I've taken three steps too few, he said. He was attacked with swords and spears, and the king himself delivered the mortal blow, and Thorolf fell at his feet. Mm. Now that's a that's a pretty hardcore way to go out, Andy. I think you'll agree. I mean, burst, I agree. bursting out of a burning building to hack through your enemies, that's the kind of thing we created Best Bloodshed to celebrate. That's right. It's cinematic. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, But also, as we pointed out during the episode, this is the closest anyone ever comes to killing Harold Fairhair in the sagas. Three steps away. He's one of the most ubiquitous antagonists of saga literature, and Thorolf Mm -hmm. nearly guts him. That's that's good stuff. Yes, I agree. I agree. Good one. So my first candidate is one of the more memorable moments from the first section of the saga. And to set the scene, King Harold has already killed Thorolf Keldelson, as you just described. And rather than immediately fleeing any further expression of the king's animosity towards them, Kveldulf and Skatlegrim linger in the Solent Islands of Norway, watching the main sailing routes. Right, they're, they're like predators stalking for prey. That's exactly right, yes. And one day, during the summer, 
Scott Legrim, with his keen eyes, spots a ship on the horizon, and he recognizes it as the ship that had once belonged to his son Thorolf. Yeah, it was a big ship that Thorolf had once given to Thorgils Boomer for a trading mission to England. Mm-hmm. Halvard Travelhard seized the ship from Thorgils on Harald's orders. Yes, and that was the beginning of the open hostilities between Thorolf and King Harald. Anyways, that's the ship, mm-hmm. and Kveldolf is hungry for some revenge, and so they sneak up on the ship while Halvard and his men are sleeping. Scott Legrim attacked the prow, and Kveldolf ran up the gangway, and we're told Kveldolf had a gigantic double-bladed axe in his hand. <laughs> this is one of those business axes. Oh, yes. Kveldolf means to do business with this axe, mm-hmm. and he does. After shouting orders, he goes into a berserker frenzy and starts closing deals with his business axe. <laughs> Soon, Kveldolf finds himself in the aft of the ship, and there he finds Halvard travel hard, and he swings his axe and, quote, struck Halvard right through the, his helmet and his head, Oof. sinking the weapon right up to the shaft. Then he tugged it back with such force that he swung Halvard up into the air and slung him over the side, disposing of Halvard for good. Mm. Now, the deck of the ship is then cleared quickly as any remaining men either meet a similar fate or fling themselves over the side of the ship in fear. Which you can understand. I mean, this is a classic saga battle scene. It's definitely worthy mm-hmm. of consideration here. Absolutely. I, I like that now, one. I like that one. While we're on the subject of heaving men into the air, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll hit another quick one. Um, well, I mean, how could I refuse such an eloquent setup? You like heaving men into the air? Yes. <laughs> well, my next one stars everyone's favorite golden boy of the saga, Thorolf Skatagrimsson. Mm. Now, as you'll recall, he and Ale found themselves participating in the battle to end all battles in England on the side of King Athelstan. Ah, uh, yeah. So this is the Battle of Brunanburh section of Ale's saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a saga brief on the subject with uh, with our friends Graham and Ali from Rex Factor. That's right. And you know what? Not long after we posted that episode, there was a big announcement that archaeologists suddenly believed they found the true site of the Battle of Brunenburg on Wirral near uh, Liverpool. Yeah, I'm still holding out hope for the golf course, but um, (laughs) this looks promising, I admit. It it does, it does. Anyway, Ale and Thorolf are there, either on the golf course or uh, in Wirral. Um, (laughs) King Athelstan quickly falls for these two swashbuckling charmers from Iceland. (laughs) Is that how they're described? Swashbuckling Uh, charmers? No, that's not. That's how they see themselves, though. Uh-huh. Uh, so just a bit of ver- verbal flair from me. So on the first day of battle, Ale and Thorolf come face-to-face with the treacherous earls, Adels and Hring. Ale meets Earl Adels on the edge of the forest and chases him off. Mm. And here's what the saga tells us about that encounter. Then Thorolf began fighting so furiously that he threw his shield over his back, grabbed his spear with both hands and charged forward, hacking and thrusting to either side. Men leapt out of the way all around, but he killed many of them. He cleared a path to Earl Hring's standard, and there was no holding back. He killed Earl Hring's standard bearer and chopped down the pole. Then he drove the spear through the Earl's mail coat and into his chest and out through his body, so it came out between his shoulder blades. He lifted him up on it, above his own head, and thrust the end into the ground. Everyone saw how the Earl died on the spear, both his own men and his enemies. That's... That's pretty impressive work, Thorolf. One might even say that it uh, sets a standard. Oh, John? No, see, now now Thorolf can't win because you ruined it with that pun. (laughs) Come on, John. Don't don't hold my terrible sense of humor against Thorolf. He doesn't deserve that. You should have thought of that before dropping that pun. It was a good Our standards here at Saga Thing simply can't bear it. Oh, 
That was even worse. But I like it. <laughs> God, we're awful. Why do people even listen uh, to it's, us? It's, I don't know, man. It's one of God's mysteries. Okay, so I've done two in a row now. Uh, it's your turn. What's next? I assume Ailes got a chance for this prize. He sheds a lot of blood mm-hmm. in the saga. What does he do? Yeah, he really does. And this is one of his finer efforts. Uh, I've picked this one out careful. Uh, so this next one is a bloodshed watershed moment, I would say. Uh, and <laughs> it's a right. Lulu. I don't think it needs an extensive introduction. Uh, in the middle of his career, Ale wins two consecutive duels. The first is against Yelp the Pale, which made our honorable mentions. But this mm-hmm. is about the second one. Ale's duel against Otley the Short. The duel to end all duels. That's right. Ale and Otley are both accomplished duelers, but Otley has an advantage. He has a magical charm that protects him from Ale's sword. Now, after mm. Ale lands three consecutive clean blows that bounce off Otley's charmed flesh, Ale gives up, tosses his sword aside, grabs Otley, bends him over backwards, and rips his throat out with his teeth. Hmm. See, his throat and teeth bites not covered by Otley's magic, so... Well, it's a very specific attack. I mean, I can imagine Otley running through all the possibilities as he's casting his spells, right? Sword thrust, shield bash, punches, and kicks, pointy sticks, slaps, hurtful remarks, thrown fruit. A mistletoe, <laughs> right. just in case. Yeah. You'd have to go a long way before you think of a spell to keep the other guy from biting me to death. Right. Yeah, this scene always makes me think of uh, Terry Pratchett's line about a wolf that makes the kind of growl that starts in the back of the throat and ends up in someone else's. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. If the if the episode ended there, it'd already be a contender. But uh, oh, yeah. as a capper to becoming the uh, throat clamp champ, Ale then grabs the sacrificial bull by the horns. Oh, that's a literal statement. Oh, yes. That's exactly what he does. <laughs> uh, there's an old bull standing by the dueling ground for the victor to slaughter. And Ale grabs it by the nose and horns and flips it over, snapping its neck. I mean, say what you will about it, the man, but Ale knows how to finish a duel in style. Man. I, I do feel a little bit bad for the bull. I mean, they specifically describe it as an old bull. And this well, poor thing has just kind of been led to the side. <laughs> it doesn't it know has, what's going on. <laughs> either way, it was going to die. I so. suppose. Uh, so there sorry, you go. vegans. Ale chews a man's throat out and follows it up by fatally snapping a bull's neck. What do you got that'll top that, Andy? I mean, there are quite a few others we could consider, but um, I'm just going to offer my last one. Uh, My final candidate for Best Bloodshed comes from Ale's expedition to recover the King's Tribute in Varmland. Do you Uh, remember that? Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, After an exhausting trip through the wilderness and over a perilous ridge, Ale and his men found themselves at the home of a wealthy Varmlander called Armald Beard. They're invited inside, given a nice warm place to recover. And uh, Armand apologizes for not having any ale to serve. But he does at least offer them big bowls of skewer. Now, Ale and his men eagerly gulp down that skewer. Uh, and then the saga tells us that Ale ate more than the others. He's really packing well, it in. Yeah, we all know where this is going. Yeah. Uh, Armand had hoped that Ale and his men would go to sleep before the good food and ale was brought out. But yeah. Ale gets word that Armand is holding out on him, which never goes well. Never, never at all, no. Soon the ale is flowing, and ale is drinking that ale in large quantities. Yeah. There's a lot of ales for you. He's drinking his own ale, and the ale served to his men. Almost as if he's deliberately trying to engorge himself on the ale. (laughs) Oh, you think this is deliberate? Okay. And when his belly can't hold any more, he stands up and walks over to his generous host, Armald Beard, and with his two meaty hands on Armand's shoulder, he pushes him up against the wall post 
and then unleashes a torrent of vomit into Armand's face, the likes of which wouldn't be seen again until Lardass Hogan buried his face into that sixth berry pie. That is a, <laughs> vomit. That's a deep cut. <laughs> it is. I, I'm glad you recognize it, though. <laughs> vomit streamed from Ale's mouth into Armand's eyes, nostrils, and mouth. It poured down his illustrious beard and onto his chest. Armand was close to choking, and when he let out a breath, vomit gushed out of his mouth. And to this day, John, no one knows if that vomit was his or Ailes. Oh, okay, okay. No, 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 okay. I don't know how, but you've managed to make that scene even more disturbing than when we did it the first time. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I wasn't complimenting you. At least I don't, you sure? I don't think I was. Well, I'm taking it as a compliment. I okay. think that was great. Uh, so that's your final best bloodshed? I mean, does it does it really count if there's no blood? Oh, no, no, I'm not done. That's just the setup to the I mean, scene. We could just recall this best fluid. <laughs> we could, we could. But yeah, so the next morning, Ale gets up early and prepares to leave. And when all is ready, he goes back into the house to look for his generous host. And he finds Armand sleeping with his wife and daughter. Ale walks up to the sleeping Armand, draws his sword, and drags Armand out of bed that, by that beautiful beard. Yeah, that's a rude awakening right there. Yes, and it looks like Ale's going to kill Armand, but he says that Armand isn't actually worth it. So instead, he cuts off Armand's beard with his sword and then gouges out one of Armand's eyes with his finger. He leaves Armand standing there with his eye, well, probably laying down, with an eyeball dangling on his cheek. And that, that is my final and one of my better candidates for best bloodshed. Just the eyeball? Yeah, the eyeball. I think, I mean, I think just the eyeball is more than enough on its own, but I'm lumping the whole scene together, vomit and all. So you are calling for best fluid then? <laughs> and eyeball. <laughs> anyway, that gives us five candidates. We've got Thorolf and King Harold, Kveldolf's Berserker Frenzy, Thorolf 2.0 and Earl Hring, then Ale and Otley the Short and the Bull. And then we've got Ale's visit to Armad Beard. So how do we choose from those, John? Those are all great. Well, um... I mean, we could turn to what the listeners have to say on the subject. Well, listeners tend to like <laughs> Thorolf and Earl Hring. And in fact, uh, I did all these categories at the end of Ale Saga with mm-hmm. my students last semester. And they also liked Thorolf and Earl Hring. Really? They thought that was a dramatic and beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not beautiful, but they thought it was dramatic. <laughs> uh, well, where do you stand on this? I've got two that I, I could be convinced of either way. I've also got two. Um, you know, going in, I would say I, th- I really thought that Thorolf and Earl Hring would be the, mm-hmm. the, the clear winner. But Ale and Otley the Short, I mean, how do you... Okay, now we have a problem because those are exactly the two that I have. I, I don't think we have a problem because I think the answer, as, as dramatic as Thorolf's slaying of Earl Hring is and the, the Ragnar Saga-esque mm-hmm. uh, death of Earl Hring, <laughs> I think Ale chomping out the throat of Otley the Short and then dispatching mm. that bull. You're not going to see that again. But the I, I know. I agree. Um, and the idea of Thorolf lifting Hring up on a spear and planting that spear in the ground so that the entire battlefield can watch Hring slowly die as his body kind of squeakily works its way down that spear. I don't that think it's squeakily. I, I uh, think that... I think what a- what Thorolf must say to himself as he hoists him up there is, there's your standard, and that <laughs> Bear that. Um, and, yeah, bear that. And, you know, the other interesting thing about that scene is it's the, the language is almost the exact same as Thorolf's mm-hmm. death scene. Yep. He comes out and yep. hacks his way through to the standard bearer. Yes. Thorolf the first comes three steps too short. 
Thorolf the second makes it all the way. That's right. And we see what happens. That's right. Um, it's pretty cool. But ultimately, and as much respect as I have for the opinions of uh, our listeners and for the opinions of the of your students, uh, I agree. I think for novelty's sake, uh, Ale and Otley the Short is a more novel death. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting one. That's and it. The Otley's, lifting Otley's, lifting your opponent onto a standard or onto a spear or onto a halberd. That's a that's almost a motif, right? We see that in a number of sagas. We see it more than once mm-hmm. in this saga, right? His uh, Thorolf's father uh, did the uh, grandfather did the same thing. Uh, so it's it's a bit of a motif. I, I like it mm-hmm. very much, but it does have that kind of that ring of it of something that we've seen before. Yeah. Ale biting out the throat of Otley the Short and then snapping the neck of a bull. I don't know that we're going to see that combo again. I don't think so. I think it's got to be the winner. So I think there we go. But I think uh, congratulations, Thorolf and Earl Ring. That's that's a hell of a that's a hell of a second place. It is. Congratulations, Ale. Body, Body count. count. All right, we'll be honest with you, people. The body count for this one proved a little difficult for John and I. Oh, God, yeah. It wasn't just the sheer size of the saga, although that was daunting when trying to keep up with the body count. Yeah. The the real problem was the author giving mixed messages that limited what we could really do with the count. Yeah. For for example, in that scene from Best Bloodshed where Scott Legrim and Kveldolf clear Halvard Travelhard's ship, mm-hmm. we're told that more than 50 of Halvard's men were killed there. So right. uh, what the heck does that mean? How do we <laughs> responsibly... And accurately count that. And I think a more, a more important question is, why would we spend as much time as we did debating that over the phone? Because we care, John. Uh-huh. Because we care. Yeah, we do. And it is a problem. Uh, realistically, <laughs> more than 50 means that we can count more than 50. Yes, but how much more? Is it 51, which is technically more than 50? Yes. Or is it 62 or 74, which is also more than 50? Right, which is why we decided to be conservative for the sake of accuracy. Mm-hmm. Tempting as it is, we really don't want to inflate the numbers of our body count artificially. And so... But, I mean, we do, but we don't do it. We, we resist <laughs> the temptation, uh, yes. which means we have to sacrifice some pretty big numbers. Yeah, we do. Uh, like when Ale burns the farmhouse in Corland, we know the farmer and his son died, and so did, quote, everyone else in the house. Not to mention the people that Ale killed before setting the house on fire. Yeah. But, as always, we can't count numbers that aren't reported. And so we end up with only three counted. Mm. Which is the farmer, his son, and one representative body for all those killed with them. See, that's a real tragedy, the whole thing. All those people dying senselessly, I assume, is what you mean? Mm, No, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, The the fact that we can't count them, that's Uh what's senseless. What are they doing? Yeah. You and your bleeding heart, Andy. Oh. Uh, all right, uh, enough shilly shallying. If I can use that term for once, uh, what's the uh, what's the body count? Well, as you know from our conversation setting this up, the body count for Ale Saga was four hundred and seven. Four oh seven. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Not bad at all. It took several tries to figure it out and get mm-hmm. it there, but no. that's what we both finally arrived at, going through it page by page. Uh, people have no I mean, you don't need to know this about us, but you, you people don't know that we spent a lot of time on the phone working this number out. Uh, way too much time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I know it's been a long while since we've done this part, but uh, it's tradition that we use the body count to then calculate our Saga body count density measurement, or the BCDM. Oh, that's right. 
And if I recall, the was the saga of Greenlanders still has the commanding lead? Oh, yes, it does. Yes. Our top three so far are Greenlander Saga with a BCDM of 70.42 deaths per Hroffenkel. Mm-hmm. Ref the Sly with 52.46 deaths per Hroffenkel. And Floamana Saga with 39.69 deaths per Hroffenkel. Uh-huh. Now, the question, John, is where do you think Ale Saga ranks? Does it break into the top three? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, and even if I didn't already have a pretty good idea of the math, I would say it does just because you bothered to list the top three. I mean, how uh, could you possibly have a good idea of the math without having a calculator, John? I'm pretty good at numbers, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then why now, aren't you the in charge is, of the BCDM? Does it have enough to unseat Greenlander's saga? I suspect Well, that's a good not. question. I, that one feels unsurmountable to me, uh, unless we have a... Really short saga with a reported number from a major battle, which right, uh, you know, I isn't in my mind right now, but it could happen, right? It's just unlikely. Yeah. Uh, well, so, but yeah, no. So, I, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it breaks into the top three. Well, you surmise correctly, John. Ale Saga <laughs> does indeed rank in the top three, with four hundred and seven bodies over seven point two Hroffenkels. That gives us a BCDM of fifty six point. Five, three bodies Whoa. per Rothenkel. Wow. It's quite impressive given the length of this saga to it have a is. number that high. So, am I correct? That's second place now? It is second place. Wow. Flo is bumped out of the top three as Ale, ta- Ale takes over second place. And Ref the Sly slides down to number three. That is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the BCDM is starting to look respectable now. All three of the top three are over 50. That's right. Uh, and that's what counts. we got to make it respectable. <laughs> I guess in this category it is. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on. Nicknames. Well, it's been a very long time, John, since you've had a chance to flex your nickname muscles. I know we tried along the way to give you a chance to get a bit of exercise, and Mm -hmm. you've spoken about a nickname here and there, and I've gotten excited about quite a few, to be honest with you. Really? Which ones? I don't remember. You (laughs) see, (laughs) clearly riveting to you. Yeah, we've been doing this saga for over a year and taking such long breaks between recording that I don't know what I liked and disliked. I remember telling you, let me do that nickname for somebody, but I can't <laughs> for the life of me remember who that was. Uh-huh. But uh, that's not important. We're in the nickname <laughs> section now, and it's your moment to shine. The list is no doubt endless, so I'm going to ask you to maybe contain yourself a little bit. Do you think you can handle it? <laughs> oh, just you sit back and relax. Oh, should I uh, uh, get my pillow? I mean, why not? Uh, I'm going to listen this time. uh, Get yourself a a chicken feather pillow uh, so that you can foretell the future. Uh, Uh I have to say that Ale Saga really delivers on the quantity of nicknames. It Uh, sure does. We've got a ton of pretty standard names. Lots of colors to start with, uh, including uh, Bard the White, Havdan Whiteleg, Yot the Pale, Sigvat the Red, Bjorn the Red, Olaf the Red, Havdan the Black, Ilugi the Black, a few beard names, which you know I'm a fan of. Uh, beard mm-hmm. Thorer, Armad Beard, even uh, Thorer Longchin, which I think we, we agreed previously is probably a beard reference. Yeah, I feel like um, Armad Beard got his nickname because they knew he was going to get some well, yeah, in his beard. Yeah, that's, a be- that's clearly a nickname that looks ahead in the saga. It sure does, yeah. Uh, now, and there are also quite a few names that in a lesser saga might have made the cut. Uh, Solvi the Chopper, Halbjorn Half Troll, Thorbjorn Hunchback. Ozir and Bjarni Snout, Olaf the Woodcarver, Avon Braggart, 
Bercy the Godless, Burgonand. I mean, it's all good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know you hate it when I go past 20 minutes on nicknames. So I'm keeping the list of candidates down to a, a, a tidy baker's dozen. Okay, let's. Well, I'm going to start my timer and we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, even look, even that, don't start yet. Even that meant cutting out a few that definitely would have merited consideration if I had world enough in time. Well, didn't people you just like, do your honorable mentions? No, no, this is not. This is people who should be in here. Thorgil's Boomer. Yeah. Thord Hobbler. Thorvald the Overbearing. Thorgir Thornfoot. Onan Sioni, whose uh, name we already covered during the summary. It meant keen sight. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's, I mean, it's pretty good. All right, you can start your timer now. Bing. All right, our first candidate is Kettle Steam. Kettle Gufa. Yes, I now, remember that one. We had a great, yeah, we had a great time with Kettle Steam for what I hope are obvious dad joke related reasons. Uh, the name is Kettle Gufa, with Gufa meaning one of several things. It can mean Kettle the Mournful. Kettle the Sluggard, Kettle the Tough Guy, or Kettle Steam. I, I know, you're looking at me. I, I'll try to keep this short. Herman Paulson suggested Kettle Mourner by arguing that Gufa might derive from the Irish uh, Guva, which means mourning or lamenting. It's where we get the root of the word lugubrious from. Uh, tough this is guy, your idea of keeping that short? That's right. Tough Guy <laughs> is conceivably connected to the Norwegian word Guva, an intimidating or tough-looking man. But the, the most likely derivation is the noun gufa, which means steam or mist. And taken literally, that would mean that kettle is likely from a place with a misty or steamy geothermal feature, like a hot spring or a misty bay. Uh, or figuratively, it might mean slow as the mist, meaning someone who takes their time about rising, a lazy man or a sluggard. Hmm. Uh, our next candidate is Thorgerd Brack. Uh, now, Thorgird, you might remember, Andy, is Ael's foster mother and his tutor in the ways of runic magics. Her nickname, Brock, is a mess to unravel, and I totally yeah. get why translators just leave it alone. Uh, so among the possibilities, Finner Johnson uh, offers Brock as a leatherworking tool. Uh, it's also been connected to the Norwegian word Brock, a cacophonous clamor. But it could also be Brock, hard labor or toil. Or Brakya, brackish, which either of those might be appropriate for a hardworking servant who drowns in a deep pool. Uh, But Zuega gives the likely definition of brak as cracking or creaking noise, which is also possible, but not especially illuminating unless we want to really stretch ourselves and connect Thorgird to the magic ale learns that allows him to shatter a poison drinking horn. Mm. Now, I think that's a little too far to reach. So I'm leaning toward... Either the hard worker or the noisy as a likely translation. But I really like brackish given the manner of Thorgird's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, our third candidate, Kveldulf Bjalfason. We obviously have to deal with Ail's grandpa. Uh, we said repeatedly in our saga summary that Kveldulf translates as night wolf. And that's more or less true and completely awesome. It's not totally accurate. Though, since Kveld is more usually translated as evening, as you know. That's right. And now that I think about it, uh, Dusk Wolf is at least as cool a name. The uh, Dusk Wolf. Dusk Wolf. And Wolf of the Gloaming is also a possible translation. Ooh. And is now officially my new fantasy metal band name. <laughs> uh, but we left it a little ambiguous as to what the implications of the name were. Uh, so how coy do we want to play this, Andy? Are we willing to say definitively that Old Ulf was a werewolf? What do you think? Uh, I am not willing to say that. 
And the saga doesn't invest that much in the supernatural. So I'm going to go with no. Okay. He's Uh, a dude that gets grumpy in the evening. Because he he gets up early and works hard, just like Scott LeGrand. And and maybe a shapeshifter. Uh, I think it does say that. It says people were not sure that he wasn't a shapeshifter. That's that's like toadies and you know it. Uh, (laughs) But it it has an element of doubt to it. Right. We can certainly say that his nickname as a device right, is meant to evoke a connection with shapeshifters. Yes. Uh, it's also possible the references to his berserk fury, which in this family, right, I think we can agree, has a nighttime association. Yes. Right? That's not universally true. That's just this family. But given that there are multiple men and women implied to be shapeshifters in this story, I'm willing to get definitive here. Kveldl's a werewolf. Gunild, I Gunild is a shapeshifter because she turns into a bird right. to bug ale. She's one of the ones I was thinking of, yes. Uh-huh. I'm still uh, going to go have, with no. Well, you do that. Uh, I'm going to so, also uh, offer next? you... What's that? Who's next? Well, now we move on to Ol- Olaf Phelan. Okay. Um, oh, yes. Which I think is interesting given our conversation. I'm not sure why Phelan is left untranslated in Scudder's edition. Yeah, but, I don't know uh, that either. Yeah, no, this is a... Uh, Paul Peterson did all the work of tracking this one down for me. Phelan is derived from the Irish word fel, uh, which means wolf. Uh, and since it's in the diminutive, Phelan means little wolf. It's adorable. I'm all for calling Olaf wolf pup or little wolf. Olaf little wolf. Mm-hmm. But Why in do you a saga, think he has that name? Well, in a saga where it's pretty strongly implied that we have a werewolf, I think there's an added level of interest to any wolf-based name. Okay. And so I submit to you, Andy, on the basis of no evidence whatsoever. <laughs> That's what we that do here. Olaf is another of this saga's shapeshifters. He oh, is a were puppy. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? I'm <laughs> just going to nod. Enjoy I'm going to nod silently. Now, um, Kveldulf is also part of a great father-son team of nicknames. Yes. Because his son is Scott Grimm or Skullgrim. Right. Skullgrim Kveldolfsson is also a pretty cool name, right? I mean, Skullgrim, son of Nightwolf, sounds like a Dungeons & Dragons character name that would get rejected for being too over the top. <laughs> uh, it's maybe slightly <laughs> it's slightly undermined by the fact that it's a reference to Grimm's early onset baldness, though. Yeah. Uh, there is one translation of the saga that renders his name as Baldy Grimm. Baldy which I feel Grimm? Is a little unnecessary. No, that's, that's uh, I'll too stick much. with Skullgrim. Thank you very much. Scott Legrim sounds much cooler to an English-speaking audience. I agree. Uh, now, Thordis Stong, or Stick. Thordis is only mentioned briefly in Chapter 28, but I like the name Stong, and I don't especially like the Stick translation, so I wanted to bring it up for a second. Okay. The name Stong it almost certainly refers to a tall, thin person, but Stick seems too dismissive to me. Uh, it's it can be translated as pole or standard pole, which okay. strikes me as a better translation. I'd even accept bean pole to be honest. But, that's all but I have on it, it doesn't. That's all you have on that. But it doesn't change the the image that you have. No, not at all. I She's just, just, I just a I just tall, skinny the person. Diminutive nature of it. Thordis bean pole. I think is a much. Better oh, bean pole. Calling a tall, skinny person bean pole is not uh, yeah. not at all. It's not dismissive in the same way that stick is. Okay, John. Uh, now, now, uh, we have Thorgir Earthlong. Earthlong. Yarthlonger. Uh, Thorgir is one of the crew of berserks and giants that Scotlagrim collects during his youth. And I've sort of included him here as a representative of that group because that group has some great people in it. Mm-hmm. It's got Thorgir the Giant, 
Uh, it's got, uh, uh, well, we already gave several names. Thord Hobbler, uh, the Hunchback, all these different crazy names. Uh, so this is Earth Long is in here as a kind of representative of that crew. Yeah, I liked that uh, Scott Ligram kind of collected these yes, odd absolutely. people, right? Yeah, they, they all end up becoming his sort of his his crew. Right? He travels with them to Iceland. He gives them all land around him. Right. They become the settlers of that region of Iceland. Thorgir is the brother of Thor the Giant. Uh, and the name uh, Jarðlangr has a similar suggestion of great size. Uh, it's been argued that that name referred to a long stretch of land owned by Thorgir, uh, either in Norway or in Iceland. Yeah. Which means, uh, to my great and lasting delight, we'd be justified in translating his name as Thorgir Huge Tracks of Land. Uh, but... <laughs> I would just simplify it to long uh, yard, but... Yeah, but that's much better. Uh, given that Thorgir is the brother of a giant, though, my suspicion is that the name is a reference to his size okay. rather than to his impressive land endowments. But uh, in my head, he will forever live as Thorgir huge tracks of land. Well, all right, then. Give me give me one that makes more sense. All right. How about Einar Skalaglam? Uh, yes, I remember him. Yep. This is the guy you were asking about. This is Ail's young poet friend. We covered his nickname pretty thoroughly over a couple of recent episodes, so I'm going to do this fairly briefly. We even had some listener runesack information about his name, so this is just Mm -hmm. a quick review. The various translations of Skalaglam include Bowl Rattler, Scale Tinkler, and working off of those, Einar the Noisy or the Yappy. Uh, Bowl Rattler would be a reference to Einar's poem, Lack of Gold, in which he sort of plays the beggar and seeks a reward from the king for his poetry. Now, scale tinkler would refer to a set of scales that Einar received from the king. Now, I did say that according to Jomsvikinga saga, Einar uh, had an earlier nickname, Skaldmeyer Einar, mm-hmm. Shield Maiden Einar, which is technically inadmissible since he never actually gets called that in this saga. And sadly, uh, there isn't a definitive explanation about how that name exists anywhere. Einar hmm. is called Shield Maiden Einar twice in Jomsviking saga, but both times by the narrator, and it's only for identification purposes. And Andy, I don't even want to tell you how much time I spent looking all <laughs> over for evidence here. Yeah, uh, I read Edith Marl, Norman Blake, Paul Peterson, the dictionaries. Uh, all anyone knows is that the name exists, and there's a bit of specula- speculation that it might be a reference to Valkyries somehow. Right, okay. Uh, but that's it. Nobody has any idea why this nickname existed. Hmm. So that's interesting. Feel free to write your own ANR fan fiction explaining this one. I'll pass. Next. All right. <laughs> we move on to Thora of the Embroidered Hand. There you go. Now you're talking. Uh, yep. Uh, I mean, this is clearly one of the gold standard nicknames in this saga. I don't want to tip my embroidered hand too early, but <laughs> uh, Thora's got to be a real contender for best nickname. Yeah. Now, the name itself is Hlothund, uh, which. Well, I mean, hond is hand, and Zwega notes that hloth is actually a cognate of the English word for lace. Uh, so this is pretty straightforward, right? I mean, Cleesby Vigfusson adds very helpfully that hlothund can be defined as, and I quote, the nickname of a Norwegian lady living at the end of the ninth century. So that's a that's a curious tra- definition of a yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, accurate, but not super helpful. Uh, but really, hloth is a more general term for an adornment or an embroidering. So mm-hmm. hloth can be used to describe an arm ring or a bit of lace or apparently a person's hand. Right. There's been various speculations about what Thora's nickname means about her, though. Uh, is she talented at lace making or sewing? 
Does she own a set of fancy gloves? Uh, tattoos have also been suggested. And although I haven't seen it mentioned anywhere, I would add the possibility of a birthmark or a scar. Uh, yes, whatever that's it what means. I like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so whatever it means, Kristen Seaver calls this a beguiling name, and she's not wrong. Uh, we move on to Kettle Blund and the Blundings. Yes, uh, I have to be honest, this isn't a winner. Yeah, but we've got a four men in the same family group who all share a nickname element, and that's that's a record worthy of note. Uh, the name Blund, which is shared by Kettle and his descendants Blund Kettle, Thorgir Blund, and Thorod Hrissablund. Uh, Blund means doze or slumber, so Hrissablund means snoozy from Hrissar. Uh, the name seems to be linked specifically to droopy or sleepy eyes, which could re- indicate a recognizable family characteristic instead of a quality of being sleepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I thought we should just honor the Blund name. And sure. now we've done that. So we move on. Thin the Squinter. Skelgi. Like that one. Uh, yep. English translators generally agree that the name Skelgi means one who squints. Well, the source word can also mean wry-faced or roundabout. Uh, There are a number of people with this nickname in the Saga Corpus. Uh, There's no way to know whether Finn is just nearsighted, whether his squint comes from sailing or from some other cause. But I like the idea that in a crowd of Vikings on the prow of a ship, there's one guy peering through scrunched up eyes and saying, "Uh, is that Bjorn over there? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oithen the Uninspired. Oh, yes. Oithen is a background figure. Uh, He's an old poet who's still hanging around in Harold Fairhair's court after serving Harold's father, Halfdan the Black. And sticking this poor old guy with a nickname like Uninspired seems kind of mean. And it is. Uh, It's actually worse. I mean, it's actually worse than the original Icelandic because he's called uh, Oithen Ilskalda. Uh, Oithen the bad poet. Yeah. Or the poet taster. It's not good. Yeah, uh, essentially, a- poor Oithen's only claim to fame as being a court poet, and everyone calls him the crap scald. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Although, now, of course, that might a, not be nickname, worse. Mm-hmm. As a nickname, the uninspired is kind of, to my mind, cooler than Oivin to the bad poet, you know? Right, right. And so of course, both of those names are distinctly better than Oivin the plagiarist. Yes. <laughs> who's yes. our next candidate. Ivan is only mentioned as a descendant. Uh, he's a he's the grandson of Ivan Lamb, who's mm-hmm. Ail's great uncle, which I I guess makes him a second cousin of Ail's. Ivan's name is Skulda Spiller, uh, Scald Spoiler, or Poet Wrecker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleese offers a note on this, which I have here, and this is all quoted from a dictionary to my great delight. Yeah. The name was, we believe, a byword, meaning poetaster or plagiarist. We believe that this nickname was given to this poet because two of his chief poems were modeled after other works by contemporary poets. Well, well, well. In, in one case, this is even expressly stated in Fagaskinna. Now, now, modeled on is a nice way of saying stolen from. Uh-huh. So it looks like Avon got caught, quote-unquote, modeling his poems on other people's mm-hmm. and got a bit of a reputation. Uh, don't steal other people's scaldic verse is the lesson here, kids. Gotcha. So, Andy, that's the list. Well, John, my, my students concluded yep. through a vote that uh, Oithen the Uninspired yep. was their choice. They thought that was the most really? interesting one. I 
I'm impressed they picked him out of the crowd because he really is only mentioned once yeah, in the I mean, entire saga. Look, it was a Tuesday. I said, go find good nicknames and tell me who's yep. your favorite. And they came yep. back on Thursday, and that's what they came up with. Uh, they had a lot well, of good choices, bad. though. It's not, not bad. my choice, but it's not you know, bad. You didn't. Uh, you also didn't mention though, German Darkskin. And oh yes, no, we've actually. I think we've actually covered him before. And he might be the one that I was talking about, but I'm not sure. And it's too late. Yeah, now. no, I think we uh, we talked about him in a, in a previous saga. Did we? I yeah. could be wrong about that. And if so, we'll get him on the next go round because he yeah. definitely comes he'll, up again. Yeah, he'll show up again. He's an interesting one. Um, yeah. So who? So of the of the ones that you mentioned, mm-hmm. I guess here's what I'm going with. I like Kveldolf because he's just a cool dude. Of course, he, des- he deserves. His name is Wolf of the Gloaming. He deserves to be included in the nominees. Um, Thora of the Embroidered Hand, uh, Finn the Squinter, definitely, and yeah. Oivin the Underspired, and then uh, or then the uh, the Plagiarist. I mean, but all those are great. Mm-hmm. Who do I pick? I, I have to say, uh, Anar Skalaglam is also. Uh, I like that one. That one is very clever too. I, you know, I'm I'm not counting him as much because we mm-hmm. already talked about him. That's not fair. Sure. But I don't think I would choose him. Okay. Who would I choose? That's a great question, John. Um, I have two. All right, give me your two. You pick one of those. Well, are, if you pick, they, no, no. If you pick one of those two, then we're done. So you go ahead. Well, are they of those, of the ones that I just mentioned? Both of them are in that list, yes. Yeah, I would say Thora of the Embroidered Hand would be one of my two. Is that one yeah. of yours? Yes. Okay, we're on the same page. And then, uh, or then the Plagiarist would be my second. Really? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think so, because... That that concept of being not just a bad poet, but a poet who steals from other poets to craft your work that that's an interesting okay. nickname to me. Who's your you know se- Who's your uh, second one? My second one was Kveldolf. Uh, oh yeah, well, really like that name. I like it too, um, but it, you know, he's just a night wolf or a dust you know wolf or a he's wolf. Not of just how dare you just? No. Uh, but I will say, uh, you know, I think given that we both chose Thora of the Embroidered Hand, yeah. Uh, I think that makes our job a lot easier. I think that's fair. Uh, she's not a fair. major figure in the story. She does. A, she is important, right? I mean, well, we, John, we get the entire story of her abduction, and of course, she is the the mother. Uh, she is Ail's mother in law. So that's the, a significant place. Some of the it. most famous of our choices, uh, for example, the, I know you know uh, open handed but stingy with meat and Evar Horsecock. Um, they're How just, do you not give? Have done the open-handed but stingy with meat, best nickname. Again, we, well, we gave it to him. And he also, yeah. I think, won the uh, the quarter court. So I believe so, yes. All you have to do is show up in a genealogy with That's a good right. nickname, and you're in. Show up with a good-looking hand. And <laughs> Thora has done that. So, all right. Well, Thora of the embroidered hand, uh, come on Congratulations, down. Thora. I can't wait to shake that embroidered hand. I, I can't wait for the close-up of the, uh, the, the award held in those beautiful hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you came in at 20 minutes. Yay! <laughs> Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. All right. So it's time to look at the evidence of the storyteller's art in the sagas. Uh, Notable witticisms <laughs> is our chance to celebrate the well-crafted poetry, the clever prose, and the throwaway one-liners that make the sagas so much fun to read. So it's a bit weird to come to the end of a saga that I don't want to tip our hand too early on the final ratings, but I think it's fair to say we both enjoy this saga very much. Oh, yes. So it's a little strange to come to the end of it and realize that it's not as packed with clever dialogue as I'd have thought. I, I agree. As we were going through it, uh, I was surprised. But uh, it's not bad. 
It just could be better. No, no, it's very well written, and we've got some good candidates. It's just that I was surprised to realize it wasn't that hard to choose a handful of candidates from the overall saga. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, We did have to cut it down a bit, but we've had other sagas shorter and less packed than this one, where we had a much harder time picking our favorite lines. Right, and so with with that lukewarm shrug of an introduction, (laughs) let's dive right in. That's right. Uh, You know we really know how to sell the merchandise around here, don't we? Bored for it. Uh, Do you want to go first? Yeah, my uh, talk about uh, good salesmanship. Uh, my first candidate uh, won't win, but it's worthy of being nominated. <laughs> well, it's an honor to be nominated, they say. And that's what Thorolf 1.0 will be saying after the ceremony comes to an end. But uh, mm-hmm. early in the saga, he does get off such a great line that I, I do want to recognize him for it. And this actually ties into my first Best Bloodshed candidate as well. Oh, is this the one where Kveldolf attacks Halvard Travelhard? That's right, yes. So the ship that Halvard was sailing had been seized from Thorgil's boomer, Thorolf's right-hand man, on the way back from a trading mission in England, as uh, we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. On a tip from Herak Hilderidersen, King Harold sent Halvard Travelhard to capture the ship on its way back. When Thorgils finally meets up with Thorolf to tell him about the loss of the ship and all the valuable cargo, well, Thorolf, he just shrugs and says that he won't go short of money. Mm. And then he says, plus, it's it's good to have a king to share your money with. <laughs> There's that Thorolf we know and love. The cocky Thorolf. Yeah, he's he, cocky is the right word. And it's that nonchalant cockiness that ultimately convinces King Harold to get rid of Thorolf altogether. And, right, and now I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought this up because this, this is a good segue into my first candidate. Yeah, okay. Uh, my first one comes from Uncle Thorolf as well. This is uh, from the end of Thorolf's life. And in fact, we already actually covered it in Best Bloodshed. Yeah, but it's a great moment and it does deserve nomination in both categories. No, I, I agree. Uh, so Thorolf, this is the moment when Thorolf escapes a burning building with Thorgil's boomer by his side. And they charge into Harold Fairhair's waiting forces. And despite being massively outnumbered, Thorolf manages to hack his way to within a sword thrust of the king before being cut down. And those last words of his are, I took three steps too few there. Mm. It's a great moment. No anger, no prayers, just a mild regret that he didn't manage to finish his charge and take Harold down with him. And mm-hmm. that does merit consideration. It's a good one. All right. Uh, so what else have you got? Yeah, so these first two are kind of serious. So l- let's lighten the mood, shall we? Oh, well, <laughs> I'll put on some Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, what did you have in mind? <laughs> well, I mean, apropos, uh, how about a, a vomit poem? <laughs> well, I had a feeling that would uh, come up again. Let's see, uh, we're getting we're getting so good at this. Very clever. <laughs> I try. Now, this is Ale's first vomit poem. Yeah, the fact that we have to distinguish between a first and a second vomit poem is really remarkable. It is. It is. But Ale does a lot of drinking in the halls of stingy hosts, and mm-hmm. the author seems to like pushing things to the limit. So, in this case, Ale's in the hall of Athloy Bard, a well-off servant of King Eric Bloodaxe. Ale is there with Olvir, a business manager of Thor the Harrisser, to collect some debt that he's owed. And mm-hmm. Athloy isn't too excited to see them. Yet yeah, no one is ever happy to see the debt collector. Yeah, and uh, he's not terribly hospitable. Yeah, so he offers Skur and Way to Ale and Olvir, lamenting the lack of finer fare available. But as we all know, Athloy Bard does have finer foods available. He's holding yes. out because in the main hall, he's hosting a feast for King Eric. And Queen Gunhild. So this is our actual introduction to Queen Gunhild in this stuff. Yeah, that, that's right, yeah. The, when Ale crashes the party and starts drinking like crazy, she's the one who puts poison in Ale's drinking horn. 
Right, but Ale fends off that poison with some bloody runes, showing us that he's got a few of his own magic tricks up his sleeve. Yes, and so Adloy Bard has insulted Ale by lying to him about the available food and drink. Yes. And then he has the nerve to offer Ale a horn full of poisoned ale. He does, and I feel like that's really the more important offense here. Yeah, yeah, and it's no wonder that Ale's upset. And so he gets up and takes a very intoxicated Olvir to the doorway, presumably, I think, in an effort to leave the hall before things get ugly. Hmm. But then Otloy Bard rushes over with yet another horn and asks Olvir to drink a toast. And so Ale lets fly a verse. He says, I'm feeling drunk, and the ale has left Olvir pale in the gills. I let the spray of ox spears foam over my beard. Your wits have gone, inviter of showers onto shields. Now the reign of the high god starts pouring upon you. (laughs) And at that moment, he tosses the drinking horn to the side, draws his sword, and buries it so deep in Bard's stomach that it comes out the back. Bard falls down dead, and the very drunk Olvir also falls down, spewing vomit everywhere. Yeah. Now there's a bit of debate as to whether this is really a vomit poem. Yeah. Um, it is, by the way. Uh, but the showers onto shields would be a kenning for battle. Right. right? Uh, so it evokes the image of arrows crashing down onto the shields. Right. And the rain of the high god pouring upon you is a reference to the mead of poetry. And Ailes then using the secret language of poetry to use Snorri Sturluson's uh, mm-hmm. phrase uh, to inform Otloy Bard that he has now invited a shower of shields or violence upon himself. Right, and and the kennings he used, chooses are so cleverly constructed here because we do get right sort of parallel meaning. Mm-hmm. We've got these showers of shields, rain of the high god pouring. Yeah, all that liquid imagery, right? Liquids. It's it's evocative of the vomit that's about to erupt from poor Olvir. Exactly, and the blood that's going to erupt from right. Bard's stomach. And that's why the first vomit poem is worthy of our consideration. It's very cleverly constructed. Yeah, no, we've definitely got a few themes developing mm-hmm. across this uh, category because I've also got a candidate from a drunken party scene. Wow. Uh, Ale's trip to collect taxes for King Hauken gets interrupted by bad weather, and he ends up spending a night at the home of our friend Armad Beard, who we've mentioned before. Uh-huh. Armad, who apparently hasn't heard about what happened to Atloy Bard, <laughs> pulls the same move on Ale serving him poor food first to fill him up before revealing the better dinner to follow. So you'd think that bad news like ale would get around a little quicker than that. So <laughs> I'm going to have to guess that Armad is a slow learner. Or or just a bad host. Or that, yes. Uh, so ale eats and drinks far more than is good for him and realizes that Armad is de- deliberately trying to get him drunk in order to embarrass him. Good and point. ale can't have that because if anyone is going to embarrass ale at a fancy dinner party, it's ale. <laughs> Now, you paraphrased last time, but at this point, I'm going to let the saga do the talking. Ale began to feel that he could not go on like this. He stood up, walked across to where Armad was sitting, seized him by the shoulders, and thrust him up against a wall post. Then Ale spewed a torrent of vomit that gushed all over Armad's face, filling his eyes and nostrils and mouth and pouring down his chest. <laughs> Armad tries to catch his breath, but as soon as he opens his mouth, he starts projectile vomiting as well. And mm. when everyone in the room starts shouting at Ale for his crude act, Ale responds, Well, don't blame me for following my host's example. He's spewing his guts up just as much as I am. <laughs> it's such an Ale response. 
It's brilliant. Now, now Andy, this would be great already, but Ale then follows that with a verse that manages to be spiteful, gross, and masterfully poetic all at once. Mm-hmm. With my cheeks swell, I repaid the compliment you served. I had heavy cause to venture my steps across the floor. Many guests thank favors with sweeter-flavored rewards. But we meet rarely. Armad's beard is awash in dregs of ale. Now that poem has extended metaphor, wordplay, and crudity in equal measure. It's got everything. That I submit, is what Notable Witticisms Prizes are for. I so agree. So what else have we got? Well, I just want to note, uh, Rando Plants on Twitter uh, did mm-hmm. tweet us and say, I think there should be a commendation for John's persistent voice acting. So <laughs> a, little, a little golf clap for you, John. Oh, well, there you go. There you yeah. go. I'll take, I'll take it. Yeah, you should. Um, since, we, uh, since we've been keeping things so highbrow, and classy in yeah. this section. Uh, why don't we wrap things up with Ale's penis poem? <laughs> sure. Why not? Who doesn't love a good penis poem? <laughs> uh, three cheers for your Willie or John Thomas. Hooray for your one-eyed trouser snake. Your piece of pork, your wife's best friend, your pussy or your cock. You can wrap it up in ribbons, you can slip it in your sock. But don't take it out in public or they will stick you in the dock. And you won't come back. Oh, thank you very much. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, but but no, uh, as much as I love that penis poem, this one is a little less celebratory of the male member. Ale's uh, penis poem. Okay, how many times are you planning to say penis here, just so I know? Well, how many times am I planning to say penis while talking about a penis poem? That's an odd question. Oh, God. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to apologize for what's happening here. Oh, come on now. You're just joyfully leading me through the Monty Python's Isn't It Awfully Nice to Have a Penis? song and now we suddenly can't say penis when talking about a penis poem please please for the love of god andy stop saying penis on our podcast (laughs) i mean it's only gonna happen once just trying to get a rise out of you john Uh, oh no 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 no. that's too far back away Uh, (laughs) all right as i was saying i'm i'm really sorry as i was saying (laughs) you're not sorry enough not at all Ale's poem is a bit more grim than uh, the Monty Python song. And at this point in the saga, he's become an old man. And coming from a world in which he defined himself through his masculinity, Ale's disturbed to find himself suddenly impotent, both in body and sexual virility. And so he addresses this harsh reality of old age in a poem. My head bobs like a bridled horse. It plunges baldly into woe. My middle leg both droops and drips. Well, both my ears are dry. Now, I know we talked about alternate translations when we covered this in our last episode, but mm-hmm. I'm going with this one because it's simply too good the way it's translated here. Yeah, true, but remember that the original doesn't mention drooping or dripping. I know it mentions moisture, though. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I honestly, the original is just as good, if not better. Do you remember what it was exactly? Uh, the line can be literally translated as soft are my stony legs Mm -hmm. or my hard leg is squishy. Yes. Yes. Which both works (laughs) for the weakness of his legs and the impotence of his penis. That's Mm -hmm. why it's brilliant. Ale or whoever wrote this poem was a very clever poet. Blauter erum bergis voter is a home run in my opinion. Yes, but is it good enough to take the prize for notable witticism? That's the real question here. I mean, it is a good question. 
Jonathan Harold on Twitter really liked Thorolf's I took three steps too few here and other people mm-hmm. did as well. I mean, that's a fun one. And my students last semester, they were partial to that as well. And they didn't actually choose it, though. They chose the penis poem. Oh. Oh, do they? Yes. <laughs> oh, they've got impeccable taste, clearly. They do. Uh, but there's a couple we didn't consider that we should mm-hmm. add. So like what? Will Beale really likes the narrator's aside when describing Kveldulf when he says, not everyone agreed that he wasn't a werewolf. Which is, <laughs> that is a remarkable uh, narrator's it's a, line. It's a clever use of double negative. It's mm-hmm. very Icelandic. Yeah. And Nathan Clifford likes Scott Legrim's, the wielder of iron must rise early and often to earn wealth from his bellows. That poem. I hadn't really thought about that one. It's a solid aphorism. It's a good poem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And but I tend to think of that one just as a great poem, though. Not quite the same thing as a notable witticism as we mm-hmm. tend to think of it in this category. I mean, I don't know. He he is responding to his farmhands complaining about getting up early, so mm. I think it works. I, I guess you you know what you're right, but that doesn't help us because we're just adding another one. Who do you mm-hmm. got for notable witticism, John? I think I know who I want. I, I bet we're on the same page here. I don't know if we are because I I think um, the combination and this won't this isn't necessarily the strength of our podcast uh, because we're we functioning as an English language podcast. Well, I mean, I like to think, uh, but because we function as an English language podcast, uh, this judgment to me is partly based on the cleverness of Ailes' poetry. Yes, uh, and that comes across best in the original. It sure does. Uh, the the poem that Ale delivers before he kills Atloybard, uh, I think, is just a brilliant piece of work. The way that Ale builds the story of fluids uh, spraying, yeah. raining, right, crashing, uh, right before he stabs Atloy and before Olvir falls vomiting to the floor. Uh, it's a brilliant piece of grotesque poetry. It is. It is. Uh, it is highbrow and lowbrow in equal measure, and that really I appreciate. And that. for you, that beats the one for uh, that he offers after killing Atloy Bard. It does, just because it's so cleverly done. Both in the, I think mean, this is a good translation, but in the original, it's so cleverly done. Yeah. Uh, the way that the image is built is so nicely done, and as you pointed out. Uh, it's building off of the language of poetry yeah. uh, in ways that make every reference both a reference to bodily fluids and a metaphor for battle. Which you know, uh, so and that's just I think genius. what you're suggesting here, and this is really interesting to me because I was going to go with the um, the uh, what is the beard guy? Arm- I was going to go with the Armad beard poem, the second mm-hmm. vomit poem, which is also great. But I think what you're suggesting is that the second one is a little too on the nose. And the first one is far more clever. It's the nose, the eyes, the mouth, it's, the beard. It's everywhere. It's <laughs> you know what? Uh, you've convinced me. Um, I'm surprised. Excellent. But you've convinced me. I think the first vomit poem is the winner. Excellent. Oh. Congratulations, Atloy Bard. I hope that's some consolation to you. I think uh, <laughs> Ale is the one collecting this, not Atloy Bard. He <laughs> got point. what he was getting. <laughs> Outlawry. In our Outlawry section... We review the saga and pull out the characters whose behavior strikes us as most villainous, or at least the most problematic. That's right, and Ale's saga has no shortage of villainous characters. Uh, King Harold, his son Eric Bloodaxe, Queen Gunild, all of them come to mind immediately as figures who check the necessary villain boxes for this story. 
Yes, they're definitely situated by the author as the antagonists. And then there are also the minor villains, like the Hildreidersons, who manipulate King Harold into an unjust attack on poor Thorolf Keldolfsson. Should we try once more for posterity to say their names without stumbling over them? Uh, Hildreidersson. Harak and Hrarak Hildreidersson. Oh, you got to put the, both of them together. <laughs> Herrick and Herrick Hildredarsson. There you go. Or the Hildredarsons, as I said in right. grad school. Right, sure, why not? Uh, yeah. We've also got uh, Jot the Pale, who plays the stock yeah. role of Berserker Dueler, seeking to take someone's daughter or wife. Yeah. And we've seen multiple versions of Jot the Pale in the saga so far, and those kind of brutal injustices often earn a character a spot in the outlawry section, but we have a problem. But in this case, yeah, we can't do much about any of them. Yeah. King Harold, Eric Bloodaxe, Queen Gunild, the Hildredersons, Lyot the Pale, and almost anyone who does wrong in this saga will be sitting at Tribal Council tonight with an immunity necklace. Wow, that's a, that's a super timely survivor reference, Andy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. No, the problem is that everyone we've just mentioned is not from Iceland, yeah. Uh, as we've established many times before, this category specifically is limited to characters who are subject to Icelandic law. Yeah. Uh, well, if you ask me, it's kind of a dumb rule for a literary analysis podcast. I don't remember asking a question. I was uh, oh, I was totally well. making a statement. All right. So we are very limited here because most of the saga takes place, well, everywhere but Iceland. Uh-huh. We go to Norway and Sweden and Denmark and England and even into Eastern Europe. We meet a lot of interesting characters along the way, uh, but few of them are Icelanders causing trouble abroad. Right. No, this is in some ways a very nationalistic saga. Right? Um, yeah. And that leaves us with only a very few reasonable candidates, Andy. Yeah, I've got three that we should consider. Oh, interesting. I've only got two. But I suspect hmm. I know who your third is. So who's your first one? Well, if I'm limited to Icelanders, then I've got to look for a section of the text where we can actually spend a little time in Iceland with Icelanders. Uh The only part of the saga that actually acts like a traditional family saga is in the later chapters dealing with Thorstein Eilson's troubles with uh, Steinar Sjolnason. Yeah, I agree. He's on my list as well. Yeah. So Steinar is guilty of several crimes by Icelandic law. Mm -hmm. He grazes his livestock on his neighbor's land. Oh, no. Oh, no. Please. Anything but that. Well, it is against the law, John. Sure. And then he ambushes Thorstein twice resulting in the deaths of five people, including his own son. And Thorsten's. And somehow not the Norwegian companion. He's, he's the luckiest guy in the saga. You know, Andy, I really, would have, really... I really would have led with the murders five people rather than the grazes his livestock on his neighbor's land. I, I, I mean, you, you, you're part of this podcast. We like a slow burn. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Anyway, Steinar is also a big jerk, but uh-huh. that's not really against the law. Right. So Steinar... Or you'd be in jail. Steinar's a real... Jail? Uh... He's a reasonable candidate, but he's a little bit underwhelming. Uh, yeah. I wonder uh, whether we should consider outlawing someone a little more important to the saga. Ooh, are you re- you're gonna you really gonna do this? I mean, we have to at least talk about it. I'm talking about Scott Legrim. No, John, not Scott Legrim. Uh, yes, he's worth considering. Uh, he's my number two, but there's someone even worse. Oh, see, I knew you were gonna push for ale. Well, how could I not? Come on now. But go ahead. Tell me about Scott Legrim first. Mm-hmm. He's not innocent. That's for sure. He's my number well, two. I think it's important that we at least acknowledge that Scott Legrim is guilty of a couple of acts that would probably get him outlawed in a different saga. 
Oh, yeah. We have to at least put him on trial. I mean, he, he commits a fair amount of mayhem, but that's not that remarkable. In any case, most of his mayhem happens in Norway, and it's against the king and his family. It's True, not, but the more disturbing stuff well, happens right, in Iceland. Right, right. The stuff in, in Norway isn't fantastic, but it's not the kind of thing that would get you outlawed in Iceland. Right. right? Antagonizing Norwegian royalty is the closest thing medieval Iceland had to the World Cup. It's, it's an international event they try to qualify for every few years and are surprisingly good at given their size. See, I got to I gotta think about that for a second <laughs> because that's either the best or the worst analogy you've come up with on the show. And that's saying something. Yeah, I, I think it's just the most recent one. Uh, anyway, <laughs> King Bothering isn't actionable. Uh, Scott Legrim has to be tried for something that we've actually outlawed people for before. He's a child murderer. Uh, yeah. Remember when Scott Legrim was wrestling with Ale and Ale's friend, Thord Granison? Yes. Scott Legrim flew into a berserk rage and smashed Thord into the ground. Hell, he almost killed Ale, and he yes. would have if Thorgrid Brack hadn't stopped him. And then he killed her for interfering with his attempted filicide. Yeah, it's not a great look for old Scott Legrim. I'll grant you that. Oh, I should point out something of a pattern for him. Uh, remember, he was also involved in the death of the young sons of Guthorm back in Norway. I mean, I don't mm. think the saga asks us to think of him this way, but Skallagrim does have a bit of a habit of killing kids. And when he does it in Iceland, he's killing the son of his good friend Grani. It's pretty reprehensible. But it's his, you know, it's his disability or impairment. How do we uh, describe Is it every time, though? I think the rage against Thord and his sure. attack on Ale is for sure. Yep. It's drawing attention to his lack of ability to control these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, when you put that up against Stainar's crimes, obviously Scott Legrim looks a lot worse. He really does. But if we're listing out aberrant behaviors of Icelanders with more prominent roles in the saga, well then, uh, I think we should roll out that bloody red carpet for our protagonist, Ale Scott Legrimson. No, he is the protagonist, Andy. I heard those implied quotation marks. I admit he makes a few questionable moves, but it's not that bad. Now, 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 it's my turn to talk, John. Uh, I have the conk. (laughs) Sucks to your asthma, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I I, I did put together a little list of Ale's greatest hits, so Uh uh, let's let's review them, shall we? Certainly. I think most of them will prove to be more than justifiable. Well, spoken like a good defense lawyer. Andy, uh, this is the saga thing. What do you think I am? All right, let's begin. When Ale was just a boy, he was bested at a game by another boy called Grimm. Losing his temper, Ale struck Grimm with a bat, Mm -hmm. but because Grimm was bigger, he picked Ale up and dashed him to the ground. Ale then got an axe and buried it in Grimm's head. Grimm was a boy of only 10 years. Yes, and Ale was only six, and Grimm had just picked him up and dashed him headfirst into the ground. Oh, I see. Is, so, that the, is that how you're you're training your, yes, your boys? Is, Somebody no. touches you, you no, bury an axe in their head? Am I raising them in a culture that equates uh, violent reprisal for violence with masculinity? Oh, does this culture reward that? Yes, uh, it does, in fact. Uh, <laughs> it absolutely does. His mother, you'll remember, when he comes home, says that he will one day make a great Viking and that he's shown tremendous well, promise in this killing. We've talked about how the sagas <laughs> cast Vikings in sure. a negative light. sure. All right. Now, while he's still a boy, Ale kills again. How do you how do you address this one? Mm-hmm. This time, his wrath lands on an innocent business manager at his father's farm. Ale walks up to this poor fellow and kills him with a single blow, which you think is a punch, which is so ridiculous. 
Uh, and then he went to a seat and waited for dinner to be served. Well, he was hungry. Uh-huh. I mean, the man had a rough childhood. And remember that he has been encouraged by his mother in these violent reprisals. Uh-huh. Well, also, Scott Legrim, his father uh, has just killed his best friend and his foster mother. I, I think it goes without saying that Scott Legrim was no fit father. <laughs> <laughs> My students actually became obsessed with Scott Legrim's behavior uh-huh. as father and thought that many of Ale's problems as an adult <laughs> can be traced back to Scott Legrim's uh, I mean, poor, poor tutelage. Right. But okay, moving forward. As a teenager, Ale kills Atoy Bard because he wasn't happy with Bard's hospitality. No, 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 no. And the poison. Don't forget the poison. That kind of uh-huh. goes beyond bad hospitality. There has been an attempt uh, made on his life that evening. Fair. His attack on Berg Onand and his brother Atli, both justifiable from Ale's point of view, but they were legally the owners of the land Ale was killing them for. And what do we think of Ail's attack on the Corlin farm? I understand that he was captured and treated poorly. Sure, he manages to get free. He steals a lot of goods. And then, after making his way partway to the ships, he reconsiders, returns to the farmhouse, sets it on fire, and kills everyone inside. Now, who does something like that, John? (laughs) I'll answer it for you. The same kind of guy who would throw up in a man's face, humiliating him in front of his whole household, and then wake up the next day and gouge his eye out in front of his family. Why? <laughs> For giving him shelter and a bowl of skewer when he was cold and hungry. Hmm. Okay. Um, first of all, I can't even believe that you're trying to defend the legality of the kangaroo court that awarded Osgard's <gasps> land to the sons of Thorgir Thornfoot. This the, is the worst. Wha- hmm? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, kangaroo court. This is the Norwegian royal court, John? Yes. Excuse me? Yes, and it is it is bouncing across the landscape. The sons of Thorgir Thornfoot? Yeah, no, Burgonin and Otley are the sons of Thorgir Thornfoot. Uh, Gunild and Eric Bloodaxe not only create a sham of a court case, they and Burgonin taunt Ale over his powerlessness to do anything about it. And mm-hmm. I remind you that a great deal of what he does in this section of the saga has to be seen as taking revenge for the slurs the Thorgersons repeat about Osgird. Ale has a legal right too, Andy, the right to respond to slanders with violence. You and I may not like it, but that's the law. Well, what about poor Armad Beard? Hey, look, Ale's not a great house guest. <laughs> well, you can say that again. Uh, but there again, it's clear Armad intends to embarrass Ale publicly. It's a dangerous thing to try to make Ale look bad, and it comes with consequences. Mm-hmm. And again, Scandinavian law and tradition are pretty clear that a man has a right to defend himself against any det- attempt to dishonor him. And I would put Armad's actions in that category. Well, then let's not forget his final act of villainy. Mm-hmm. Early, Remember, early in childhood killing, late in childhood. He never stops. <laughs> in the end of the saga, Ale is blind and dependent on the assistance of others. Dreams of throwing out chests of silver given to him by King Athelstan. Chests that were meant for Scotlegrim, by the way. And he wants I to mean, throw yes. these chests of silver into the all thing and watch the chaos ensue. But when he can't do that, he forces two servants to help him load the chests onto a horse and lead him into the hills east of the farm. How does he repay these gentlemen for their generous support and guiding hands? Well, he kills them and hides the bodies. John, I ask you, is this the kind of guy who gets to waltz out of this outlawry oh section and into the Thingman category without a scratch? How is this guy, this willful, stubborn, poetic, and charming brute, not worthy of outlawry, I ask you. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, first of all, 
I think the bit about causing havoc at the all thing is just great. And I mean, it's we have to remember, he doesn't do it. Well, he doesn't do it because Grimm won't let him. No uh, one is willing to take him to the all thing once they find out about the plan. Okay, we're not the thought police, Andy. We're not in the business of condemning people for things they threaten <laughs> to do. This is not Minority Report. As for the servants, I, yes, of course, he does that. Uh, uh-huh. But I invite you to consider the words of the great penitentialist Theodore of Tarsus, who requires that before we pass judgment, we consider the sinner as well as the sin. Ale oh is goodness. clearly a man of diminished capacity when he kills those men. Is he? And as for the other people he kills, a lot of them were bad people. <laughs> That's true. Now, do I think Ale gets off without a reprimand? No. But outlawry? Outlawing uh, ale from Iceland. I Andy, I want fair. you to think about that. We'd get lynched the next time we visited Reykjavik. <laughs> well, see, there you have a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I will add that many, many people who wrote in mm-hmm. felt like ale is the one to outlaw. My students also Many agreed. people. Many. Do you want me to quote their names? I, Hold on one moment. I'll just pull it up here. Mm-hmm. We've got... A series of pseudonyms for Andy. No, no, no. No. Um, okay, so Fern Maddy says of Ale, thinking about him as a potential thingman, says, not a good option unless you want to spend your time cleaning up blood and vomit and then paying him off for the worth of the property of the man he killed in a duel. Is that your idea of a good time? I mean, do you want him inside the tent uh, vomiting out or outside the tent vomiting in is my answer. I I, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, Nathan, <laughs> Nathan Clifford... Uh, for outlawry, his top choice, Ale Scott Grimson, mm-hmm. says he kills four people, and he lists out all the people four? that he killed. Clearly, not the person that you want to have. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of like ones that we want right, to consider right. as outlawry worthy, right. the people he kills when he's young, mm-hmm. the people he kills when he's old. I think all the stuff in the yeah. middle is justifiable in my mind. I, I think, I think uh, my earlier point stands. Uh, the people of Iceland, I think, have spoken on this point. Ale is not outlawable. Uh, well, then it will then not that stand. His sir. father. Uh, well, I that think there's a real, I think the real problem on. here, and the reason that we're clawing at people who really should not be considered is that the true villains of this saga, as we said, all live outside of Iceland, and that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I realize that you're not going to let me get away with this, but I really think that what we ought to do here is just uh, really lay down the law and say that uh, Eric Bloodaxe is not welcome in Iceland. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> a uh, preemptive I- exile, Andy. Especially if he brings his wife. Uh, very Right. Bad. No, Queen Gunnild is absolutely not welcome in Iceland. Yeah. But in the meantime, for the purposes of our show, um, <laughs> I have a feeling not only will the Icelanders not allow me to uh, outlaw ale, I feel like you won't either. So, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of inside let's... baseball going on here because Andy and I already know the outcome of the coin toss yes, uh, to do. determine who goes first in picking a thingman. So I think where we're at is... Scott Legrim and Stainar, and if you're weighing those two against each other, well, mm-hmm. Scott Legrim's crimes far outweigh Stainar's. I I agree, um, and it it hurts me because I really I like Scott Legrim as a character. I like him as a figure in this saga, uh, but he it's you know, and I could forgive him for killing the sons of Guthorm. It happens in Norway, and it's part of a uh, a revenge berserk uh, that he mm-hmm. that he undertakes for the death of his brother. But the death of Thord Granison is unforgivable. 
this it's is really bad. This is the 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 son of and, one of his close friends, one of the men who followed him from Norway to Iceland, right? And, and he repays Brack, him by her's not good either. Absolutely right, but. Thorgur Brack is at least an adult who chooses to get in the way of a man in a berserk rage. Right? It's not a good thing. It's a terrible thing that he kills her. But she mm-hmm. makes a decision to stand in his way. Thord Granison is a child. He's a teenager. Yeah. And he's just having, you know, a fun wrestle with his friend's dad. And yeah. suddenly he has his head dashed out against the ground. I, it seems to me that... Scott Legrim is a danger to the community. I, I just feel like, you know, we have we have more than once in the past chosen for outlawry a person because of the crime of killing children. Yeah. And I feel like it would be it, it's it's certainly something that we can justify. And I think I'm gonna say maybe minor outlawry just because he's Scott Legrim, but certainly <laughs> outlawry. Like him? Yes. How about no, we give I, I him minor outlawry? And he has to see a counselor during his three-year banishment. <laughs> I'll he say this. How about we outlaw issues. him until his friend Grani allows him to come back to Iceland? Okay. That's uh, fair. That's a, I think there's precedent for that kind of thing. That you Boy, we've gone, we've gone real soft. Uh, well, you know. But we are – hey, look. We're outlawing a major figure from this saga. I don't think that's going soft. Yes, we are. I'm sorry, All Scott right. Legrim. Uh, I really enjoy you, but uh, Thord Granison must be avenged. It was John's idea. I wanted to outlaw Ale. You can put your axe in his head. Wow. Big man. Now is the moment that we have all been waiting for. Or at least John and I have been waiting for. (laughs) It's time to pick our Thingmen. Mm -hmm. And in this section, we take on the role of the Gothar, or Chieftains, and select one person as our Thingmen. Way back in 2013, when we first started this podcast and came up with the judgment categories, we we had a conversation about how we might handle Ale Saga when we got to it, John. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. Yes. John felt pretty strongly about saving Ale from outlawry, as you just oh, heard. Oh, look at you. Perhaps that's because he won the Sacred Thingman coin toss. I would argue that Andy felt pretty strongly about uh, slandering Ale's name, and that might have to do with the fact that he lost the coin toss. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I believe that you went into the outlawry section prime to take your guy and you tipped uh-huh. your hand. And I don't think there's any mystery here, John. Go ahead. Tell us yeah. who you're going to pick. Look, I'm not going to waste a lot of time here. I realize that it's your job, Andy, to find an argument in favor of your second pick. And I grant you that there are a number of fairly ripe second bananas for you to choose from. But there's only one first banana in this saga, and I've been making a mockery of the Thingman concept if I pretended otherwise. Mm-hmm. No one saga figure dominates the imagination the way Ale Scott Grimson does. Mm-hmm. From the hard-drinking age of three, Ale sets about proving himself an adornment to any feasting hall when he refuses to be left out of the party at his grandpa's house. In adulthood, he's a killing machine with a soft heart. His poetry lays bare the soul of a complex and thoughtful man, even as that man is engaged in a one-man war with multiple generations of Norwegian royalty. And over the course of a lifetime of adventuring, fighting, verse-making, king and queen antagonizing, England-saving, and general mayhem-causing, Ale again and again shows himself to be a prince to his friends, a nightmare to his enemies, and generally in a class of his own. I couldn't be more excited to welcome Ale Scott Legrimson into my hall, and I only hope I can afford the upkeep 
on making him a happy and well-compensated member of my team. <laughs> Welcome to the family, Ale Scott Grimson. Well, well, well. Why am I not surprised? Because it's obviously who, the right choice. <laughs> no. A guy who chose Gretir Asmunderson as the yes! would obviously be excited about getting someone like Ale Scott Grimson. Of course. Can you now imagine what the evening is going to be like at my place? It's going to be <laughs> full of blood and vomit, as, as uh, my student said. Yeah. Uh, these guys might be impressive individuals, but they are not team players. I don't think you understand how Thingmen are supposed to work. I don't think the uh, the job right now is to crap on my candidate. It's for you to try to find one of your own. I'm trying to define what a Thingman is. Uh-huh. A Thingman supports a Gothi by working with the Gothi, by working with uh-huh. their fellow Thingmen, by working as a team. Ale only cares about himself. It's absolutely not true. You know Good that Ale is guy. loyal to every friend he ever has. Good luck. And thank you, because now I've got my pick of the saga's best yep. characters... And oh, first yes, pick sir. in our next saga. John, there's no way I would ever have picked Ale as my Thingman. You are such a liar. Nope. I know you're <laughs> going to want to believe that, but it's absolutely true. Right, let's move true. on. Let's move on. I'm not going to take too your long lies. here. I'm not going to take too long here, but I want to recognize a few of the saga's true stars. Mm-hmm. Thorolf Kveldolfsson shines rather brightly, mm-hmm. but perhaps too bright for me. King Harold was right to fear him, and I think we should have done a better job of highlighting just how dangerous the proud Thorolf really is. He's a little wow. too reckless for my taste. But his nephew, Thorolf Scott Grimson, he's an appealing choice. He's got all the talents of his namesake, but a much more measured approach to dealing with others, especially those in power. He's a real champ with a talent for killing with a sense of style. I like him, but his resume is a little too limited. He never really comes into his own before dying in England, so I'm going to pass on him. Now, I would consider Thorsten Aelson, but he's already my thingman. Why would I want him? Right, fair enough. And that leaves only one candidate. Yep. The same guy that all of my students chose. The same guy that nearly everyone who commented online chose. The very same guy that Ale himself would have chosen had he been given the chance. (laughs) Yes, I am... Talking about his best friend, Arinbjorn Thorsen, mm. the ultimate Norwegian companion. The guy who befriends a young ale and helps steer him in the right directions whenever he's feeling down. The guy who wields significant power in Norway, a brave and victorious warrior, and a friend who puts himself in danger time and time again for ale. Why? Because Arinbjorn is a loyal friend and a team player. Mm-hmm. He's amazing, and I welcome him with open arms into my group of Thingmen. I like him so much, John, that I'm probably going to blush every time he walks into my hall. He's quite a guy. (laughs) I'm so happy, in fact, that I'm almost embarrassed for you. Really? You chose the jughead to my Archie and you're embarrassed? (laughs) Is that that how you feel? (laughs) All right. Let's, uh, I think we're both happy with the outcome of this one. And I look forward to choosing first in our next saga. (laughs) Game, set, and match. Final rating. Okay. Uh, After a year, Andy, we've said just about all Mm -hmm. there is to be said about this saga, but we still have one more duty to perform. Since uh, since I went first in choosing a Thingman, you have the honors for passing a final judgment on this saga. Andy, the floor is yours. I'm happy to do it, and I'll keep this short. I know we've said that before, but I mean it this time. We have spent a full year talking about Ale Saga. We have expressed our admiration for the saga in every episode, doing our best to explore some of the depths this saga has to offer to an attentive reader. 
and we barely scratch the surface of what's here. It's a perfect 10, John. A perfect 10. In fact, one of our listeners, Jonathan Harold, said, this one goes to 11. And I agree. I agree. If I could give Aosaka an 11, I would. It's a great saga for all audiences. If you are listening to this podcast and you haven't picked up a copy, then shame on you. Go out there, grab a copy, experience this perfect 10 for yourself. It's good stuff. Yep. The end. <laughs> wow. Way to drop Fastest. the mic. Uh, Fastest final rating ever. It is. Uh, and I agree. There's not or a whole slowest. lot that needs to be said here. Uh, but, yeah. you know, that's never stopped me before. Uh, if you've somehow made it through this entire year with us, thank you. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the ride. And I hope you agree with us that Ale Saga is one of the craziest, most fascinating pieces of literature of any age. And if you, listening to this, what, 16th, 17th episode of Ale Saga, if you've somehow managed to resist the urge to actually read the thing, or if you happen to be dropping into the podcast for the first time, I can't stress highly enough how much of a treat you're in for. Ail is a remarkable character study. He's a, he's a figure of contradictions. He's a brutal warrior whose emotions are always in danger of overcoming his stoic detachment. He's a poet inspired to creative heights by stories of bloodshed and vomit. He's an antisocial misanthrope whose loyalty to his friends and family knows no bounds. But beyond that, Ail's saga is full of deeply relatable and human figures and moments. Think of the story, Andy, of Kveldolf and Skotlagrim taking vicious revenge for Thorolf Mark I's death. That moment you described with the elderly Kveldolf pushing himself in his rage uh, until his body is burned out and he dies on the journey to a new home. Or the, the short narrative describing Skotlagrim's backbreaking work and making a success of his new life in Iceland. Or Eil's broken-hearted illness over his unspoken love as his foster sister Asgard marries his older brother. And his love and care for Asgard and Thorolf's daughter Thordis after Thorolf's death. Or Eil's adolescent worship of Arnbjorn and the way their friendship grows into a touchstone for both their lives. Or Thorgird Eil's daughter's gentle but firm handling of her father's despair after the death of her brother's. This is a saga filled with tiny moments of human beauty. And then it's got half-trolls and berserks and witch queens and rollicking adventure stories, poems about puke, a crotchety old man ale who wants to use his brother's compensation silver to prove that people are as terrible and small-minded as he's always thought they were. It's got fighting, fencing, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles, and it's an obvious ten. Hmm. See, I trusted that you'd do that, so I went real brief, and I'm so glad that I did. Well done, John. A perfect 20 from us. That's right. And with that... How could it not be? It's time to lay Ale Saga to rest at long last. We started preparing for this one over Christmas break in December of 2018, mm-hmm. feeling confident that it would be the listener choice for our next big saga, and... What a big saga it's been. Yeah, it's been a long ride, but a good one. Uh, This saga rewards many visitations. I really enjoyed digging into this one. I did too. And I think just like with Njal's saga, we we learned a few things about constructing these episodes. This was a great experience for both of us. And I really look forward to doing our next big saga. They're challenging. Before we get to the next big saga, we're going to dip into some shorter ones for a while, I think. Try to make some sure we are. Some, try, some progress toward that goal of covering all 40 of these lending us over. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, did we uh, decide? We did decide which one's coming next, didn't we? Yeah, we did. A, a while back, actually. Uh, we are, we're we're going to be doing the Saga of Horde and the Home Dwellers. Ah, yes. Harder Saga Homeria. For those who aren't familiar with it, Horde Saga uh, and the Island Dwellers is the last of the outlaw sagas that we're going to be covering. That's right. We did a Gizli Saga back in the start of the podcast. It's probably my... One of my two great regrets from the early part of the saga of the podcast, and we were still figuring out what we were doing. Uh, and then a couple of years later, we covered Gretter's saga. Uh, and now we've done Ale's saga, which is kind of a, you know, it's not really an outlaw saga, but Ale is uh, out of the island for most of his life. So it's high time we finish the outlaw sagas with Horde and the Home Dwellers. Yes, but before we do, we've got a few tricks up our sleeve. In a few weeks, we're going to be sharing our special live episode recorded at the Scandinavian Cultural Center near Boston, Massachusetts. Yes, you get a quick refresher on the Vinland sagas there, and then uh, some of the fascinating stories of 19th century enthusiasts who desperately wanted to claim the Boston area as the Vinland settlement site. Yes, it's a fascinating story. And then after that, we'll come at you with a new saga short. I've been waiting almost a full year now to share this next outro with you, Mm -hmm. and I cannot wait. The time has finally come. This one is hilarious. You're going to love it. All right. uh, That does it for Ale's saga. Uh, We hate to see you go, Ale. But we love to watch you leave. What? (laughs) Never mind. No, we don't. (laughs) And actually, only one of us has to watch you leave because uh, you're coming to my hall. So, uh, Uh huzzah. Uh, In the meantime, you can get in touch with us on social media. Let us know what you thought of our Ale Saga adventure, because we uh, we love hearing from you. Yeah, we really do. It it means a lot to us when you reach out and you say hi, you share your thoughts and questions with us. We've actually got a nice little stockpile of listener questions building for our listener rune sack, so keep them coming. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, where we are SagaThinkPod, or on Facebook and Instagram, where we are SagaThinkPodcast. Or you can email us at sagathinkpodcasts at gmail.com. Or you could write a note in the margins of literally any other saga. And we'll have a chance of getting to it now because we're done with ale for a while. Yay! Yeah, well, good luck with that. And <laughs> we don't say this often, but if you have enjoyed our journey through Ale Saga, if you like listening to our little podcast and appreciate the time and effort we put in, then please tell your friends. Talk about us online. And take a moment to review us. Right. We started this podcast to share our passion for medieval Iceland with the world. Uh, And we appreciate you helping to spread the word in whatever way you can. All right. It's getting late, John. Let's say goodnight to Ale Scott LeGrimson. Good night, Ale Scott LeGrimson. We'll see you soon. Oh, that's right. We are going to see him (laughs) again in the Lifestyle Saga. Ah. Yeah. Well, then, until next time, good night, Ale. And thanks for taking the journey with us, dear listeners. Bye for now. So our honorable, 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 <clears throat> how's that beer, John? Barely started it. <laughs> <laughs>